Hi, Aniko. Hi, Yuli. And hi, everyone else, too. Welcome to the Pass Puddles Products Podcast. This is our fifth episode, but this time I won't be working with you uh, because I'm in Barcelona. Uh, instead, this will be our first guest episode. Indeed, I will be walking today with my dear friend, Kata Docinaj, who is also a fellow service designer working in a leadership role. And we will be dissecting the idea, how can you be a change agent from the inside and from the outside? Come walk with us. Have fun. So today, Toniko is not here. We are walking the four of us. My friend Kata, the two dogs, and I. Hi. Hi. <laughs> Welcome to a very special episode. Thank today. you. <laughs> we, we are also having a very special weather for today's very special episode. It's the first time that we are walking in the rain and with no other than my good friend straight from Norway. Even though she is Hungarian, she is used to this kind of weather, aren't you? Yes, but not this kind of gear that I have on me today. So I had a very nice uh, shoe. It's like an old track uh, shoe. Yes. Uh, but I left it in Norway. And then this. Uh, and and uh, then this. The skateboarder shoes. Yeah. It feels like I'm a newbie to this. Although I'm not. Kata and I, we go back. We met. Some time ago in the Netherlands. In the Netherlands, indeed. We thought it would be interesting to have this conversation, the two of us, because with Aniko, we have talked quite extensively how interesting or what are the perks of being a freelancer and working with companies and our takes on why we have been doing it in this way. The interesting thing about Kata is even though she has the same drive, which we will talk about today, she has taken the other route and... She has been an employee for how long has it been? Forever. Forever, <laughs> indeed. <laughs> so, yes. I, so it would be lovely to hear her side, her take on the story. Yeah, definitely. The other side of the coin. Tell me about your history. How did you become what you become? Because I need to mention that Kata is also a service designer or let's say somebody again based on service design how do we want to call ourselves Julie? god we, we <laughs> recorded the whole episode about this with aniko okay and what did you come up with yeah we, what's we, our name we we just added a bunch of words together <laughs> yeah maybe let's talk about it and we will see what comes out at the end but i just wanted to say that you come from the design side and specifically yes. from the service design side rather than the development and exactly yes but it's uh, difficult to, to put this into one word as uh, people don't really understand necessarily what design is in the context we would like them to understand. So you always end up with discussions like, oh, but what does that mean? So you don't design visuals. I'm like, mm, I could, but uh, I decided uh, to, to do other things as well. Uh, but yeah, Yuli, so you asked me about... Uh, my background or a brief history. Yeah. I started in Budapest, into Budapest, the very typical industrial design education you can get. Yes. <laughs> Run by the mechanical engineering faculty. High five. <laughs> High five. <laughs> <laughs> and interestingly, you, you also have the same, exactly the same background, maybe a yes. bit different uh, schools, const but constellation in a five year uh, system. 
I was a part of the experiment, one of the first experiments of the three and a half year system. And then somehow I ended up studying uh, for more than uh, nine years. Uh, we all did. <laughs> yes. Uh, I think it's just because design is so vast and exciting and, and the difference is that you can learn around design and how it connects to uh, the many, many different fields uh, of actually creating uh, something new. So still today, I feel like I don't want to stop studying because there's just so much uh, uh, to learn. But that led me basically to to Germany, to Köln, where there is a super, super interesting uh, international school of design, where they have a very different mindset on teaching design. Uh, much more uh, interdisciplinary, broad fields of designs you can discover. And that's where actually I met with service design. Uh, and I learned from the professor of service design who actually coined the word of service design. That's fabulous. <laughs> yes. So the guy who coined the title of service design. And interestingly, Yuli, you say guy, it's a woman. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yes. See? Yes. Yeah, I have so many thoughts on this, but uh, yeah, so uh, her name is Birgit Mager and actually she is also the founder of the Service Design Network. Yeah, I got to listen to her and also work on projects uh, around service design and eventually got an internship in Maastricht, which is in the Netherlands, very close uh, to the borders of Germany. So I was uh, quite young and traveling between my Erasmus uh, studies and doing an internship with people from business and all kinds of different fields. And I was just so blown away, like where design can, can bring us. So I think that's where I got my first injection of uh, the design excitement. <laughs> <laughs> that you don't need to get many injections because you get it no. and then it lasts. Uh, yes, yes. Hopefully it lasts uh, a long time. But then sometimes you lose it and then... You need to find your way back to it, as that happened to me also. But then after I came back to Hungary and then uh, I was like, okay, where should I do my master's? And I tried actually to do it in Hungary. Did you? Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's why I'm like, oh, all these studies uh, took me forever to eventually finish my master's. Um, yes, uh, I, tr I tried an English language uh, master's also in TU Budapest. But then after half a year, I realized that's uh, it's not for you. It's not for me. <laughs> what were you missing? I think I just chose the wrong courses. Okay, this is a whole, whole other topic. But at that time, I was doing uh, like an assistant professor work uh, at the manufacturing and uh, gave to domain. Uh, machine oh. science. Yes, yes. Machine and, and all, all that kind of CNC. How do, we, how do we design machines and how do we produce them? Oh, I hope my professors don't listen to this episode. <laughs> uh, no, look, I mean, I think we had a, in that regard, if you don't mind, we had a similar experience in that, that here, I don't know how it is today, but back in the day, it was very physical, in fact, very mechanical focused. Those studies were very much around that. And most of the professors believe that that's what design is supposed to be. And anything around designing for physical products and production of physical products and they were very much a believer yes. of that so. yes so you were asking me actually like what, what was i missing well actually i was missing i guess the big picture mindset yes but of course at that time in my life 
I couldn't really formulate what I was missing. I just felt it in my gut that something is missing. <laughs> yes. And I just don't resonate with the mentality, with the mindset, with how things are being approached. I kind of was looking for the questions. Yes. Behind, like, why are we doing what we are doing? What we are doing. Yeah, for me, similar in the Netherlands when I, I think I got there when I was in the second or third, third year. And I was exposed to all these digital technologies. Like, how do you program in Java? Like, back in Hungary, we were doing Visual Basic. And I was exposed to, hey, why don't you guys do a research for Vodafone? What will be the future experience of mobile technology? And that sort of opened my eyes. Yes, yes. Just so that I had a similar, like, oh, wait. There's so much more we could do. Exactly. Especially after a semester in Köln where, you know, design was everything but manufacturing. Of course, there was also manufacturing in it, but more for the sake of prototyping, right? Yes. So you can actually showcase your ideas. Yes. And not about, you know, how do we produce 10,000 of it (laughs) for mass manufacturing. But to their credit, I want to say that they did also have a sustainability class already back so many years ago, which I find that that was a pioneering thing. Yes. So just the life cycle management course I took, I still have the book. So kudos for the professors for imprinting that in our brains. And funny that that you mentioned sustainability course, because actually that was one of the catalysts for me to actually divert from industrial product design. I love it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, when you realize uh, like how unsustainable production and actually consumerism around us, then you question yourself like, okay, as an industrial designer, do I want to be a part of it? Or can I be one piece in that machine that, that changes it? So those questions actually came up to to me when I was around, I think, 23, doing my master's in Delft, because eventually I ended up in Delft doing an industrial design master's. Weren't you doing interaction design? No. Oh, okay. I, I was in the wrong. And you know why? No, why? <laughs> our decisions are very much based on our knowledge at that point of the world. And my knowledge was pretty much predetermined by what I've seen in Hungary on what designers are doing or going to be doing. And also what my family knew about, okay, what you could become with this diploma, right? So (laughs) it was so strong in me that, oh, if I need a master, it has to be in engineering. I need to have this title, right? Engineer. Yes. Because that will worth much more. Oh my God, yeah, the worth of it. That was a driver here yes. very much. And it still is, I think, until today. Yes. I want to uh, <laughs> plug in a quote here that I heard a couple of days ago, and I love it. It comes from another podcast, but it goes, nobody is self-made. Nobody. We are all the produce of our environment and the people that we surround ourselves with. Exactly. And yeah. I think our stories and your story as well is sort of a, a manifestation of that please continue <laughs> yes and it's okay you can make a super career in engineering design right and yes. uh, that's also something you can love and be very fulfilled in it was just not for me it's like 
there was some kind of a hole <laughs> in it and trying to find the real reasons for me to actually do this. Yeah, it took some time, but I'm super happy that I was actually lucky enough to take the time. Yeah, I think design isn't straightforward at all. It's not like, hey, this is design is one design, as you mentioned in the beginning. It's just so widespread and there are so many branches and possibilities and, and very different talents that can go into design. And one person who is doing one side of this branch, wild branch tree, may not be able to do the other side and vice versa. Yeah. And it's still somehow an uncovered topic for those who don't work in design. That's my impression. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I, I still think that there is so much beauty in designing products, right? Yes. Just the question for me was, can I actually do my craft of design thinking in an environment where I feel it makes sense? Right. And that time I was super concerned with sustainability. I'm not saying today I'm not. I'm just uh, much more chill about it. I don't have climate anxiety anymore. You don't? <laughs> no. Oh, I love it. Is that because you live in Norway? I don't know, to be honest. Yeah, probably. I mean, when you see only electric cars around you driving and we don't use gas. I mean, you are a fresh mom. You just had a baby. So yeah. I think even more special that you don't have this anxiety then or maybe maybe your priorities just change and your focus changes and when you have a baby kind of you zoom into the details of sustaining a life or you can't really think in holistic word problems that much at least for the time being so coming back to delft yes what happened after that a bit linked to Sorry, again, climate anxiety. <laughs> we had a, a fantastic young professor in Delft who were running a course on sustainable design. And we had to read like tons of papers. And these papers were super, super doomsday papers, right? And I remember at that spring, I was just sitting on my couch and I felt like, what's the point of living? <laughs> what's the point of consuming food? So then if I consume food, where does it come from? Oh my God, it's not sustainable at all. What's the point of designing products? And suddenly nothing had a point anymore. And that was uh, the time when I was, I think, a bit burnt out <laughs> from studying. Also studying in a very competitive environment. I think we have to underline that uh, Dutch education system, especially TU Delft, like uh, one of uh, the best in Europe and you make it or you or you drop out kind of environment. So at that time, I, I felt like I, I, I really needed a break before I could finish my graduation. And that's when I decided that I don't want to be an industrial designer. I think I had a pretty narrow kind of idea on, okay, if not industrial design, then what? What could I do with my skill sets, what I learned with design thinking, with, you know, with questioning the status quo all the time and digging into the problems uh, and asking <laughs> questions and the why like five times. So I decided uh, to shift uh, towards uh, digital uh, design, UI design, UX design. That was also like crazy booming at that time and many. What year are we talking? That was 2012, 13. 
Yeah. By the way, I want to also add this to you because with Onico, we, we rant a lot about this too, that we also want to somehow talk about the depth of knowledge that goes into working actually with this complexity of design. So when people do a 10-hour course of service design expert and then they claim themselves to be, we both feel... And I think that... I, I feel the same, Yuli. Yes. Because for me, it, it was... In terms of gross years, it was nine years. Yes, that's what I want to talk of about. my life. I want you to, I want us to emphasize it that yes. it wasn't, you know, two years ago, half a year ago. It was, we are talking decades in a way. <laughs> yes. Yes. And that is still not the practice of it, right? Yes. That is still just laying down the foundations. Yes. And understanding, as you said, the complexities. Yes. Around it. What does it really mean to build something with the users, with the problem? Uh, in the in the center, so uh, that's not even going into the details of okay. And now that we understand the philosophy behind it, how do we implement it in the context of bigger organizations, or in the context of a startup, or a context of coming as a consultant and trying to change and uh, or building something from the ground up, or, yes, or pivoting something from some yeah. But you know, I also have this question about it. Are we just elitists here? Maybe we have um, a tinted point of view that we, this is our path. Like our, our parents also used to think that if we don't follow their path, then we are doing something wrong. And I, I'm, I'm wondering how much of that is the reality versus how much you hear, oh, you don't need studies anymore. You just go out and do it. And some of these courses are supporting that. Yeah. And, and of course, these courses are valuable in the sense that they build understanding, they build sensitivity. But uh, yeah, I don't know how much is our truth the truth and how, like, what's the distance between those two realities? Do you know what I mean? I don't have a clear answer. You don't have to, to have it. To I'm your just, question. Yeah. Um, I debate it often myself because I was also, you know, creating courses of what is service design, <laughs> right? Because at a point in your ca- career, you realize that, okay, you dived quite deep into this field and then you venture out in the world and Everyone looks at you like, what's your profession again? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so you meet with the misunderstandings, with the big questions and with people not really sensing or feeling what you're talking about. So you end up, okay, how do I overcome this issue? Yes. How do I insert myself? Because I see how I could be of value. Yes. But how do I make them understand? And then... Uh, you know, teaching and uh, creating courses and running workshops on service design. And yeah, the new wave of design sprints came around, I don't know, 2016. Yeah. And then everyone jumps on it. Of course, I did as well. <laughs> right? Yes. Because you want to be a change maker. Yes. And, and you want to do a good job. And you know that, oh my God, I have kind of a tool. the key in my hand. Yes. <laughs> and you want to convince people that they allow you to use it. Right? I think it's uh, not black and white. I think courses are good, especially if it if they are run in, in a B2B environment. Yeah. So people can sensitize with it. I agree. I believe that the marketing of these courses is off, not the content of them. <laughs> yeah. Like don't yeah. promise someone that you will become an expert yeah. on something, but promise them that they will get an insight into something. I think what's uh, very dangerous is that people sell 
now everything under the flagship of design thinking. Yes. And to be truly practice design thinking, I think you have to lay the foundations. Yes. You have to read all those books. You have to go through all those mistakes and you need a mentor. Yes. You need someone to actually learn from in practice to understand what does it really take to to do proper research and to kind of find the insights that you never knew were there before, yes. right? This kind of exploration that you set out to do, it takes also time. Yes. And it's not one day. And I think it matters where people who join this type of activity come from. I don't think it's an exclusive field. I know that a lot of people started to ride this wave when design thinking came in as a tool set. People from marketing, people from all different kind of areas, like social studies, business, engineering, IT, started to join this activity field. But they have a certain understanding of it. Yeah. And I feel like they still also need time to expand that. You can just come in and say, okay, now I am this when you have yeah. a vast knowledge of something that's one specific area of yeah. design. And what I want to add to this, I do think that people coming from, you know, psychological backgrounds, for yes. example, or um, very research-focused uh, backgrounds, or even marketing, well, where they actually have to do quite good research on the consumers, Yes, I think they make super foundations all these fields make super foundations to really understand uh, what design thinking could be yes i have worked with professionals you know from the research side from the from uh, psychology and i just find it super super valuable yes and i learned so much from them anthropology yes. best example so as to many things there i don't think there is a clear kind of uh Yes and no on this question to me, but uh, but I agree with you that it can also do harm if we sell design thinking and the design profession as something that can be done in five days. And I'm talking here about design sprints, right? And the boom of design sprints and people trying to sell that as a service uh, to companies. As an innovation, as, as an, as an innovation to, method. Yeah. Oh. Yes. Oh my God, yes. So <laughs> let's come back to your career. Today, you work in a somewhat of a leadership position, right? Yeah, we could say that. Yes, you yes. have a team. Yes. And, you, and, and the company where you work at, you've had quite an impact in how they integrated service design and, in fact, design thinking into their methodologies. What was it when you arrived there? And how has it changed since then? And, and what was your role in it? That's a <laughs> tiny little question. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> how did you work on it that it's not harmful, but in fact, it creates change? To be honest, I would love to hear also other professionals honestly reflecting on yeah. how to make change. <laughs> yes. Especially in our field. But I can tell you kind of my experience and what I think was needed to make a change in this particular organization. Let me just say as a preface to it that until now we talked heavily with Aniko about how we see 
ex- the external specialist's role in sort of planting the seed in a company, how they need to change or creating a, an initial safe environment for people to start experimenting. But we also talk about how as an external, you will always remain an external. And with that, you have no oversight of seeing whether those changes really grow a root yeah. or not. And unlike us, you have always worked as an employee and you have always, I don't want to put words in your mouth, I'm just trying to create the context that yeah. you have yeah. always found it important to be that catalyst from the inside. I so. did. And actually, ju- just a quick um, recap on this. So when I started to work uh, you know, after finishing my master's, it was a question to me, like, do I want to go into a consultancy? Not as a freelancer. So there, there are levels to it, right? As a consultancy, being a full-time employee versus do I want to go in-house? And many of my peers went, to, went into consulting. But at that time, I already felt like that if I want to work on projects, that I see the impact not only in an organization, but also in the product itself that gets to the market, I need to be there for a longer period of time. And quite early on, I felt like, um, for me right now, this is the path to, to see long-lasting change, but also most importantly, to see the product that I'm designed being functional in the market and see it being used by users. Mm-hmm. So I think the whole idea of getting it out and get real feedback and really see the impact yes. that drive me to choose to work in-house up until this day. Uh, time to time, I, I think about, oh, should I start my own practice? I have experienced a lot. I could be of value as, a, as an external, but <laughs> I'm still not at that point, I mm-hmm. think. Mm-hmm. So originally, I was hoping that we will talk about how you can be a change agent from the inside and from the outside. Can we say the, the word? The word? Rebel. Oh, the rebel. Yes. <laughs> How can you be a, a, not rebel is the right word? Uh, like a pa- partisan? Partisan. Oh, even better. Even better. Is that the name? A partisan word? designer. Yes, yes. indeed. <laughs> a partisan design agent, change agent. Yes. How did you become someone who wanted to also change the processes and, and help? this approach take place and then how did you do it i think there's so many layers to it i think there is the personal layer yes of always wanting more better different the layer of me not being afraid of change and always trying to explore the world so i think there are these core values that i bring with me and it doesn't necessarily relate to design or whatever it's just you know, it's just what brought me to Germany and then to the Netherlands and then now to Norway. So definitely there is always this questioning the status quo in me. Like, is this good enough? Are we there yet? Uh, are we sure we are there yet? Can we be better? Can we do it better? Are there efficiencies uh, that we can gain from doing it differently? Yes. So this uh, continuous critical look at the world, I think, uh, comes with me. And don't ask me the psychological side of it. 
I haven't really gotten <laughs> to the depths of it yet. Why there is? I don't want to ask that, but see, this is what one one thing that fascinates me about how you do what you do because I think we share this view on the world, and I found that for me, being an external consultant and being an external advisor has worked better mm-hmm. formulating a critical. I always want to say constructive criticism towards. But you did work in the telecom. I did. I did work as a for, for some person. Yes, too. For yes. some years. Yes, I did. In I a did. quite a possibly change-making position, right? Yes, I did. So how 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 was that? To see, <laughs> and it's not, not working. There. <laughs> it was very frustrating at the end because I found that even though what I was doing it had impact, I felt that from an HR perspective it wasn't valued, and I couldn't really make a change on that and I didn't um, succeed in in representing that side of the, the game for myself well. And I think you just said the key why I still do it and why you stopped doing it. Okay. Because I also had experiences like this and then I left that company. Right? Yes. Because I got to the level of frustration where I felt like it doesn't make any sense to continue being stressed about it yes. and not seeing change. Yes. You chose a different path. Yes. And I think I was lucky enough to find a company where I think the roots of designs have already been planted by the time I joined. Yes. So I didn't have to be the the one who plants the first seed. You didn't have to be the first pioneer. Yes. Yes. And I think that was super critical to being successful in what I do today there that I joined an atmosphere where there was already a design department. They were already practicing design thinking. And upper management have seen the value on practicing it that way. So I didn't have to come and convince everyone from top to bottom that that's the way to go. I came into uh, an environment which was welcoming and warm and I could build on, you know, the successes of others. And I just have an epiphany that I think back in the day, companies that had an understanding of the value that design can create used to be only agencies because that was their business. But client companies, they were not in the business of design. So they only hired that for an hour or two, name the, name the time, doesn't matter. And there was no design culture. And of course, it eventually changed. And more and more companies started integrating into that, that into their practices. And so when I was an employee, I felt that bigger percentage of my time was the fight for being able to work and not do the work. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes. But I think that's a, that's a good, good realization, like good thought. And we then saw that many of these design agencies were then acquired. Yes. By various uh, companies. Some was acquired by... Management firms. Most of the big, the big fives, they all bought some. Yes, exactly. Like 10 years ago. or In the, in the past 10 years, yes. I think it happened. Yes. And I think it's still happening. So, so uh, successful design agencies are being bought up. Yes. And at the same time, you know, in-house design capacities started to, you know, grow and boom. Because I think many others, just like me, saw the potential that you can reach if you are working from the inside. And, you know, 
you get access to budgets, you get access to talents, you get to define your own team, who you want to work with. You get to grow that team and, and reach change together. It's not a rebellious move anymore because you are then operating within a, the boundaries that is given to you. But it is the change making uh, that actually then happens uh, within the realm of, of the company. So that is something that you were experimenting with, meaning how to build a service experience-oriented organization mm-hmm. in a piloting approach. Yeah, th- th- I think that's uh, one of my latest kind of a program. We called it a program as a start. But before before I explain that, I think um, still back to your original question of, of what makes a design partisan successful uh, within within the boundaries of a, of a company. I think, um, you know, looking at my not so successful attempts uh, in other places, I think what made the real big difference in this particular case is that I met like-minded people who were at that time sitting in positions where decisions were made. So as a designer, you know, you come into an organization, you don't really have a power. You can do amazing contribution, uh, inter, uh, internal and uh, individual contributing work, but you are not deciding over budget. You're not deciding over how teams are organized. You are basically assigned a project and the problem to be solved. So the other thing that, that needed to happen is to really being paired up with, with a person who at that time has been in the company for over 15 years. So he had the credit. Yeah. People listened to him. He was in a posi- position where he could, uh, you know, actually talk to the sea level and get a budget, a quite generous budget, uh, a quite generous time frame to actually start making things happen. And um, I don't know from where did it come to him, but... He also had this mindset of holistically looking at our offerings from the customer's perspective. He didn't call it service design. He didn't use these fancy terms. And funnily, uh, he brought his own kind of tool sets and vocabulary to the mix. And he called it uh, like a programmatic approach. And he, he brought an idea of how the London Olympics were designed, executed. executed. From, uh, from the moment of, you know, defining the vision for it and a mission for it and then uh, creating a team structure, et cetera, et cetera. So it was super nice to see that service design is not, I think it's not a new thing. Uh, and it's definitely not something that should be owned by designers because then I don't think it's a, it's a successful thing. Yes. It should be owned by everyone. And it's a mentality that that needs to be ingrained in how you do things in the inside, but also in the outside when you meet with customers. And if that is there, then I think all the products, the touch points, the digital interfaces, and everything that comes out of a company, you know, that is being produced from a company, then we'll have this holistic perspective. So it was super nice to see that that he also brought that to the table. And then actually he brought two other persons to the team 
one who could drive technology and one who could actually drive, we call that uh, program management. So that's basically um, a more complex view on project management Mm -hmm. because he already saw that, you know, if we want to implement whatever we are going to come up with, then we will need a person to organize that in a way that there are milestones, there are deliveries, it's being communicated to stakeholders. So really the implementation side of it, which is like super, super important. I think that's one of the most important things in it all to to get somewhere with your thoughts at the end of the day. Absolutely, yes. Yeah, joining this, uh, uh, this group, I think really allowed me to plant the ideas of service design and to get budget, uh, to hire people. And then back to your question, to actually think about, okay, how can we be really successful in a short time frame? So we called it kind of uh, organizational prototyping. And um, that was fascinating. <laughs> At the same time, also very, very tiring and frustrating as well. We managed to actually build up, in brackets, build up a, des- a design and service design department, so to say, in a year. Within a year, there were over, I think, 40 people working in more than five focused teams, focusing on various touch points across a holistic customer experience journey. And that was, uh, yeah, that was fantastic to drive and see how our vision of reaching this uh, kind of this mission then started to shape up with the different teams driving their own products and then also connecting those products into one cohesive picture and also figuring out from the technological side how to create components, micro components that could be shared and landed across the teams and built upon using uh, a design language, a design system for the UI that enabled us to super rapidly prototype digital user experiences. And also from the technological side, they also used very new technology to do exactly the same from the tech side. So it was a it was super experience. And, you know, while all that things were happening at the development part, the program manager brought on the stakeholders, the company, the sales organization, the, the marketing organization to, to really push this out and make sure that whatever we are actually creating, there is something at the end that comes out. That was a, a super, super project. And, and that's what I, I love about, you know, being this change agent in the company to see that it really works and it has an impact and to see what comes out at the end of the pipeline where we don't call that pipeline anymore because we want to be agile. Yes. <laughs> it's a circular thing, of course, but um, I'm not sure how to experience that if you are not one piece of the puzzle in it. Well, I was one piece of the puzzle in yes. it. <laughs> we did work together during this prototyping phases, I had the chance to join the team and working on one of the products or one of the stages of the holistic customer journey. Tell me about the not so happy part of the story, the frustrating aspect, which 
by the way, I want to say always or can always come with prototyping. Yes. Yeah. So when we talk about prototyping products, there's always the possibility that your prototype is not going to work. Right? That's why you prototype. Yes. <laughs> and I think with an organization, we were hoping that would never happen because it was super that we could build it up so fast as you can build a, a full prototype or a full product. But indeed, it, it can definitely happen with an organizational model as well. So to understand the whole picture of it, I think uh, it's, uh, it's good to mention that the way we built these teams were that Part of the people were uh, full-time hires, so the core team members, us four, and um, some of the team members who we managed to acquire from other parts of the company. But at that time, because it was an experiment and it was a, a very new way of organizing teams and looking at the digital portfolio, uh, we did not get budget for people. We got budget for execution. So there's a difference between kind of long-term budget for hiring versus short-term operational project budget. So that's what we got, the letter, to prove what we are doing, actually. So that meant that we could, on the positive side, we could hire brilliant talent from all over Europe and by the way, I have to mention that this was under uh, when COVID hit. Yeah. So an originally very traditional uh, non-remote company was super open to, you know, just explore whatever makes this work uh, under this crazy situation of uh, working from home policies. So we got to actually hire people from all over Europe and we managed to put together teams from various different countries contractors from contracting agencies or freelancers, solo freelancers. And actually, finally, that was the time which allowed us to, yes. to, to finally work. work together. Yes, I've been trying to convince you to come to Norway <laughs> for yes. such a long time by that time. Yes, I was not ready to do another move. Yeah, after, after the Netherlands. Yes. So I was super happy that, you know, you could also come on board and take ownership uh, of the strategy of that very core piece of our digital portfolio. But then obviously, you know, when COVID hit and also after two years ago that the war started. One and a half. February, was it? Was yes. It? Yeah. In this economical uncertainty, predicting a move of a company is almost impossible. Yes. Maybe it's, it's a good moment to mention that the company that you work for, they are both in physical product design. And yes, it's very important. Yeah, super that you say that. So, so to understand the full picture of why this organizational prototyping had to suffer a bit, I work in a company where we actually design and also produce physical products, health-saving or... Life-saving? Life-saving um, uh, mannequins. So I think that the company that you work for is special from many perspectives, from a designer's eye, definitely, but I think from otherwise as well, because it has so many aspects that is intriguing for someone who is interested in impact, because it's a company that has a quite complex ecosystem of physical products and a digital portfolio that our service is connecting to these, these physical products. It's worldwide. So... 
you can actually have an insight or a peek into various markets and various experiences of the same thing. Yeah. It's connected to a higher purpose because it's in healthcare. Um, and it's based on a Scandinavian work culture. So please, of course, say more about it. But I think that from an outside view... Yeah. But, but you have summarized it very well. So designing holistic experiences doesn't stop at the front of uh, digital. Yes. So whatever we were you know, dealing with always had to connect to a physical product. So we were selling mannequins and uh, pieces of mannequins and also... But now we also need to mention, because now we haven't not mentioned that it's in the simulation business for healthcare education. Yes. Okay, that's Thank why you. the mannequins. Yes. Not, not mannequins in the window for <laughs> healthcare fashion. <laughs> yes. You see, this this is what happens to you after six years. Uh, yes. A certain word loses it, its many meanings after yes. uh, some time. So we, we ship these products across the world from various locations. So when COVID hit, as I said, it was super for us to explore digital teams. But at the same time, we didn't anticipate that by the end of the year, the whole transportation system is going to kind of collapse and these mannequins didn't reach the customers. So we can only charge when the product arrives. Yeah. So that ended up with uh, quite serious budget cuts. So we had to recalculate and where does a company save costs. very fast is the services. So things that we can just cut out immediately. And consultanting services was unfortunately one line in the books. Yes. So in these cases, sadly or not sadly, this is a business reality. That's what uh, the accountants see, a line and a cost and things that we can actually cut. So that was super challenging to then scale back. We had to drastically scale back. The team cut, I think... The quota was cut, cut half of the projects out that we were running. And obviously we had to bear the personal side of it. Yes. And uh, unfortunately, this, uh, this happened twice. Once during COVID. And then the second time we had to do something similar the past year after the war started. And I, I guess you felt that the most closest... Yes, so basically, the, the yeah, we all need to tiptoe around it. So what happened yes. is that I joined the team, part of the company, you and your unit building this prototype of an organization. And it was really, truly inspirational and fantastic in that regard because we were working with a, yet another layer that I think is unique and is interesting for someone like us. So we could work with talent from all across not just the continent but actually the world because at least the area that I was working we worked a lot with the US we worked a lot with India yeah. we worked a lot with various people from Europe and continuously and online and we had a, a very hybrid way of doing it mostly remotely but also every now and then coming together <laughs> sorry we keep sliding off the, the mountain here um, in the mud <laughs> in a dramatic setting. So yes, it was a very international setup. It was interesting from the remote perspective of it. I, I thought it was visionary. We, you and I have a few, couple, just a few years between us, but I think that 
when you look at the design industry and how it has evolved, it matters. Like every five years matters what happened and when we arrived at which point. Oof, definitely. So Just I, one year matters yes. so much. When I started, there was zero awareness. When you started, there was maybe some awareness already. And so maybe this all influenced why we ended up where we ended up at. Yeah. And what I want to say is that from the very beginning, so at least I think for both of us, maybe the Netherlands was a huge catalyst. So thank you. Thank you, to Netherlands. The Dutch, yes. 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 <laughs> We still love you. Yes, we do. So for me, that project, which when we worked for Vodafone and we did this research for mobile technologies, this was in 2004. So remember, no smartphones, no Facebook. Facebook just started then in the US, but not in Europe. It was not available until 2007. Um, No Skype started in 2004. So there was nothing back then that we take as normal today and I remember from that moment on like the the work that we that the research paper that we put down on the table on the desk of the Vodafone people it contained 70% of what was to come in the next 10 years and from for me from that moment on I always feel like the most interesting part of design is always one step ahead of what's actually happening and coming back to your prototype I felt oh my God, it's like a breath of fresh air. Yes, finally a company that recognizes that they can have access to talent that can bring them forward, that can create the change because they are actually in the change-making industry and they can have access to all these wonderful people and finally they are not having these blinders on that because I understand that HR has its challenges and I'm sure there's a reason why. Yeah. But when that change happened that you were describing with the budget cut and service cut, it meant that a lot of us had to leave the ship. And I felt by that time that because it was such a close-knit operation, it wasn't average for me because I didn't just work for this project one day a week, two days a week. It was almost like a full-time job. And I felt very involved and I felt it was a very... And for quite a long time. Yes. So it wasn't just uh, six months. Yes. Yes. And it was a well-oiled machine and it felt... Losing this was not just not just a client, but losing this operation and losing this well-built-up system and all the insights to a very specific industry, by the way, because it's not. It took, I think, all of us quite some time to be able to start creating value for it. It felt a gigantic loss. It did. I still think it is a gigantic loss because the domain of uh, healthcare simulation is very 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 complex yes so understanding educational methodology that is built in our product is is one layer but then the other layer is understanding the customers and understanding the industry and understanding uh the the user side of it is uh and it takes and understanding the organization and then the organizational layer of course and the politics and stakeholders and how to navigate that and the culture, it's at least a year to really lift off and deliver good value. I don't know if I would do it differently if I had to start again. Probably I wouldn't be so optimistic about running this way for such a long time. I think uh, building long-term impact on something that is so fragile is not necessarily the way to go. If we, if we take us out of the personal experience of it, if you look at it from high above and maybe on a longer timeline, 
maybe it will be a, a catalyst for something on the longer run. Like maybe it will be the example that will be mentioned five years down the line, two years down the line, 10 years down the line, and that will create some kind of a change that will allow some similar setup to happen. Maybe not, yeah. but maybe that was the role of this. <laughs> I do see the seeds of it in the company, and I think it is inspiring still. But at the same time, I also see, you know, projects popping up that we had five years ago with the exact same aim, exact same goal, exact same kind of research scope. And it's just very, it feels a bit sad that all that knowledge is actually gone with two, three, four consultants we have used over the years. But do you, do you think it's the issue of consultancy? P- partly, yes. because. If there is a consultant coming in doing work, it is so easy to release that person in case of uh, these economic turbulence, right? On the other hand, I also think that we were just super unlucky to have have been hit by two two global episodes or two global crises. But I have seen, you know, many times that, that we hire external consultants. Don't get me wrong. I love working with you guys. <laughs> and I love you Bring as it well, on. so don't, don't, uh, don't misunderstand the message. But, but for strategically important projects, we hire in design agencies, strategic design agencies. By the way, I have to mention that the Nordics are pretty, pretty good at strategic design. Many agencies, they don't even deliver UIs. What they deliver is strategy for the business, for the digital services. Um, yes. And they work with other levels in companies. Really, the, they are the path makers. So that was super fresh for me to see when I came to this, uh, to this company. But unfortunately, many times what I have also seen is that we hire them. They do fantastic work. They work mostly in the fuzzy front end. Yes. To drop in yet another design term. <laughs> which means the the very uncertain first part of asking questions like what is the future where should we, we be in five years doing uh, strategic research on what that could look like and then eventually uh, analyzing the company and then trying to set the path using design methods for example future forecasting or various other means and that's uh, that's fantastic but still there is the question okay we hired this company they did amazing job which department is going to pick this up yes. implement yes and we have this time to time right they come in they do this work and then there is a beautiful package of documentation maybe they go as far as role playing with key stakeholders nice workshops so they also involve the stakeholders they do all the service design magic they could but then budgets are gone again <laughs> it's always about budget maybe that's the the under <laughs> the underlying issue <laughs> no what i hear you know when i joined uh, for this project the setup that i really liked was and which was also challenging in the beginning for i think all of us it wasn't a project I'm sorry, what did you call it in the beginning? Yours wasn't a project. Your prototype is what I'm referring to as a project. Exactly. It was a program. Program, sorry. Which then now turned into a department. Yes, yes. Okay, good. So so when I joined that program, I 
was very curious to see how the setup of these three roles working together look like, meaning service design, product management, and technology, because I've had experience before working with technology and sometimes product ownership, but it was in the beginning a bit fuzzy, and, I, and there were quite a few conflicts or tensions about where the line is between product management and service design. We can talk about it at another time. Yes. A whole other podcast. Yes. <laughs> but what so I want to say is that as being an external consultant and someone who can help drive this change, I felt that would be or was a key to change making to work together with someone who is working on the actual currently running product because that was the setup that I joined in. Again, yes. important to mention it was not a new product. It was an already existing one. Yes. And I thought that on a smaller scale, so not on a full organizational scale, but even it wasn't a small scale, but a smaller scale, that was sort of an entryway to rooting certain changes into. And I think that this is how I really like working with consultants, because what I haven't mentioned is the fact that, you know, they bring in fresh knowledge because they work in other industries as well and yes you guys see so much more than only what's happening you know between the walls of one company and i think that's truly unique and embedding consultants into working teams to actually be able to shape then a product strategy i think that's a, a super way to work yeah i agree I yeah agree. okay there's also a specific topic about how agencies deliver their strategy proposals how much is that based on reality and how much is that based on their dreams <laughs> but it is a challenging thing if it's happening so much separately from the actual company yeah. how easy of an implementation that can arrive at yeah you know back to our original topic of uh, of change making yes i think this is, this is another model or another kind of core element that definitely played a super big impact is to to bring in fresh minds and fresh perspectives because I, I have to mention that the product managers that we brought in they also came from consulting so they have also seen all the different ways of doing product development in other places and they had their own set of experiences and the same with the tech people they came in and they knew the newest technologies to be able to prototype fast and then to translate those prototype uh, into a working product. Yes. So I think it's not only the designer who, who comes in and plays this role, but, but all these unique experiences that we managed to put together in all the teams. I think that's fantastic. How do you think that other than the old school view on consultants as in easy come, easy go, how do you think that that would be a threat for a company? Because I feel that that's in a way how certain departments in the company see it, to work with a distributed team continuously, an international distributed team, the majority of remotely. So in this certain example where I work right now, unfortunately, the direction has changed. Since uh, you know, WHO also declared COVID a non yeah a non pandemic, and uh, it's, it's just uh, the same level as uh, the flu virus. So 
unfortunately, the directions have shifted to become more local. Because, of course, there's also a lot of advantages of having teams that can actually go after work and have a beer and, and get to know each other. And I just walk to you in the, in the corridor and then we have a coffee. So I don't doubt all of those advantages. And I think that is a true threat to it, that the company just shifts the strategy and they make policies that don't support this working environment anymore. And the hiring process becomes slower. The team constellation is then challenged and changed. I think another thing is definitely the travel and the very high focus on sustainability, which is good. Challenging the fact that we have talents from all over Europe by stating that we don't want to pay for that much travel because that's not su sustainable. So, so all of that, all of that is challenging this way of thinking, at least in this example that I see. I don't know. I haven't done too much research into other companies. The only companies you see probably and also I see is, for example, Spotify or Airbnb. If you go on LinkedIn, there are a lot of remote first jobs. I think many other companies are embracing the fact that COVID brought this new change of how people like to work together and how people are now accustomed to remote work. What's your plan? When you return to work, how do you continue to be a partisan, partisan. <laughs> design agent? Yeah, that's a very good question, Yuli. I just have to be very honest that at this point in time and in my life, um, things have changed since I have given birth. So maybe looking at, at my days and how I contribute, I think has also shifted a bit to me so I can't really give you a very clear answer I'm pretty sure that it will come because it's just so ingrained in my yeah and in my core that it will burst <laughs> <laughs> in some random moments uh, and in some random epiphanies but uh, it's it's a very fresh uh, question I just started working last week so I'm, I'm still figuring out my way back to a working rhythm a working mom <laughs> rhythm yeah yeah well, thank you so much for walking with me today. And it was a pleasure. And the rain stopped. And the rain stopped. Thank you for listening to us. Yes. And uh, hope to... Thanks for the invite, Yuli. Sure. <laughs> I yeah. hope uh, we get to do this uh, maybe at another time. Yes, I think we have plenty of topics still to, to cover. If you're listening, let us know. If uh, there's anything in particular that caught your attention, and we are looking forward to hearing you the next time. Yes. Bye. Bye. Today's episode was recorded in the Buddha Hills with special guest Kata Dotsinaj, a fellow service designer and a good friend of mine. The episode was produced and edited by me, Yuli. Original music by White Hot from freebeats.io. Thank you for listening to us today. We hope you enjoyed our chat and let us know if you have any feedback, any thoughts, comments on the topic. We would love to hear from you. You can find us on Instagram under the nick path puddles products. 
leave a comment, send us a DM. We would love to hear from you. Have a lovely day and we look forward to hear you the next time around. Bye.